Hey there, and welcome to the Smart and Simple Matters show with your host, Joel Zeslowski. Let's talk about the significance of 40 feet, seven months, and the overarching role that belief can play in everything else. This is episode number 125. Well, hello, wonderful human who is listening to this episode. I gotta say, I am strongly resisting the urge right now to do a voiceover reenactment of a hilarious audiobook I recently heard. I'm also stuffing down the desire to incorporate some 1990s song lyric at the moment. I had the perfect one to drop right now. I'm not gonna do it. One thing that I will not deny, that I cannot and never will deny is how dang grateful I am that you press play and you're giving me your time, attention, and energy for the first time or for the latest time. I plan to reward you for it. It's been a bit of time since my last episode, and it's looking like the sporadic nature of the show will continue for a while longer. Thanks for hanging with me as I work smart and simple matters into the rest of my life, which has been filled lately with an incredible local improv comedy course i'm taking a first place finish in a distant trivia contest so i'm consulting with a friend on an incredible movement he's co-leading and all the multi-potentialite fun this papa and wild and crazy dude can handle it has been a while since i've mentioned this but if you'd like to help keep my motivation up to produce new episodes you can offer a bit of support just go to joelzeslowski.com slash support to see the various options, financial, non-financial, and frankly, just downright rad. Speaking of rad, I decided to bring back a past guest to celebrate the five-year anniversary of his first appearance on the show. His name is Dan Hayes, who you may know from his popular and now dormant podcast, Simple Life Together. He was first featured here alongside his fantastic wife, Vanessa, in February 2013. This time, you just get me and Dan chatting it up for your listening pleasure. Now, if you were a regular Simple Life Together listener, you're going to love hearing what Dan's been up to since producing his last episode. If you never heard of Simple Life Together, it's cool, not required. You will enjoy what is perhaps my favorite part of the episode where Dan gives a historical and cultural lesson in how the Roy Croft movement in East Aurora, New York, is a microcosm of where the simplicity revolution has been and continues to go. It takes a little while for these stories to gain steam. Hang tight. It is fascinating stuff. I don't see any reason to wait any longer to get into it. Do you? No, didn't think so. So let's do it. Here we go. Dan Hayes is funny, clever, and sometimes too smart for me to keep up with. He's also the former producer and co-host of the Simple Life Together podcast, who continues years of a family trajectory towards a more simple life in the modern world. His journey has taken his family from living in a major city to a small, walkable village in western New York to achieve their goal of building their dream modern bungalow. You can also ask him about his feelings towards Elvis and techno music someday. Welcome back to the show, Dan the Man, the Danimal. Oh man, it's awesome to be here. I'm, I'm not used to having this microphone thing in my face. So. I know. We were talking before I pressed record. You said that it's been over two years since you've been on the podcast, Mike, since you last published an episode of Simple Life Together with your wife, Vanessa. It's a long time between podcast microphone off on switch flips. <laughs> it sure is. you know. And I, I have to say, I miss it a lot. 
And I've thought many times about starting up something else. And, um, you know, just like you're a multi-potentialite, Joel, I have so many interests that I'd love to do a show on, but I'm just real hesitant to commit because, you know, I hate it when I find a podcast that I really like and then it just fades away. And I feel I have, I carry a lot of guilt for the way uh, we kind of ended up with Simple Life together. But, uh, you know, we, we do owe a, an update episode. But, man, life has been good. It has been good. Okay. We'll talk about guilt and joy in a little bit. We might Sounds be getting ahead good. of ourselves. <laughs> or maybe not. Yeah. Who knows? We can get into it at any point. So right. I just want to – people who are regular listeners are like, this Dan guy. I think I've, think I've heard of him before, like maybe five years ago or so. True. Uh, we last did an episode about five years ago. You and Vanessa were both uh, yeah. on the mic with me, and now it's just me and you this time. So we did the Seas of Awesomeness last time. There are no new ones, although I'm sure we could get into those that haven't been spoken yet, but we'll refer people to episode 15 if they want to get a little bit more of the backstory. Let's talk a little bit about uh, A Simple Life Together and the fact that about two years ago, you last published an episode because things were changing significantly. A lot of people don't have any idea of where you've been, what you've been doing since then. So perhaps tell us, what was the catalyst for not stopping the simple life, but stopping the podcast and moving on to something else? Well, you know, it's interesting, Joe. We, um, uh, we started the show when um, I had retired from my first career and um, Vanessa, my wife, uh, had business as a professional organizer. We were on our way to the World Domination Summit in, geez, back in 2011, um, the first one. And uh, as we were flying into Portland, uh, I, you know, we were searching for something, kind of, some kind of change in our lives. And that we, uh, we just kind of realized there on that plane that what we were looking for was a way to simplify our lives a little bit. And so when we started the show, it really was just kind of to, to document our journey along the way, the things that we, that we learned, things that worked for us, things that didn't work for us. And, you know, with no intention of, of purporting to be experts or anything like that, we really just wanted to share our journey and to see if it resonated with anybody else who was kind of considering that as well. And, uh, you know, the show kind of took off for us. And, and for a couple of years, we just had a really good run. And, and it was, we looked forward to doing it every week. I guess it was probably, I think we have like 77 episodes or something like that. And uh, I think around in the maybe 60 episode mark, I'm really not sure, where we uh, decided we were going to have a major change in our life and move. And we started documenting all of that. And as we were executing our plans, things got really busy. You know, simple doesn't always mean boring, but when you're executing your plan, it, we, we really got busy. And, and the show took a back seat. Uh, and then I think it's like a lot of things where the further you have between instances to, uh, to kind of bring you back to that level of responsibility, like it's dying. Once you have a skip day, it turns into a couple of skip days and it turns into, and then you feel guilty and you're, you're there this extended period of time. Um, and then we were legitimately too busy to kind of come back. As I mentioned, we do owe an update episode at some point in time, but, uh, Suffice it to say, our, we've executed our plans and it's been great. Let's talk about that for a moment, though. Okay. Why you feel like you owe Simple Life Together listeners an update episode. I know because I remember at, towards the end, you and Vanessa were like, hey, someday we'll come back. We'll give you an update. We're still in San Antonio. We're heading to this place in western New York. And it's an extended process. We've got lots of things to do. And when we get our footing, you know, maybe we'll crank up the podcasting mics and do that. Yeah. Why? Well, first of all, I'm sure there are some people who are still subscribed directly via the RSS feed or in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever else right. that people are subscribed. So when you publish an episode, there are going to be hundreds, if not thousands of people who are going to be like, what? Simple Life <laughs> Together episode, I don't know, 76, 77, whatever would be the next one on there. Why do you feel like you, two years on that you really need to update folks? It's kind of like when you have a, a season of a, a, a TV episode or so, a TV series that you're watching and they leave you with a cliffhanger at the end or you go see a movie and you know at the very end of the movie it's just to set up the next movie. I, I, 
the feedback that we've gotten along the way, we've gotten lots of emails and people on the Facebook page saying, so what happened? So what's going on? We want to know uh, what's up with your life. And I didn't initially feel a big responsibility uh, when we started the show to the audience because there wasn't one, you know, but you do grow, you, you grow loyal listeners along the way. And the the responsibility kind of gets imposed on you, or at least I felt I took that on. There there hasn't been anybody who said you owe us <laughs> another episode. You owe us, and it's like, hey, I'll, I'll refund all your money from all the episodes you downloaded. You know, but, but it's just not like that. But I think um, I think people are interested. They they still contact us. Joel, I got a, I got an email. Uh, no, it wasn't an email. It was a um, a, uh, a note on the on our about us page at simplelifetogether.com that says miss you guys and like six exclamation points and i got that this either this morning or last night before i went oh. to you know and it's things like that that make me think well you know i don't want them to think that our our plan failed i want them that they were following us to help learn lessons for their own lives so maybe some people felt a, a personal connection i know uh, episodes that I've listened to of other podcasts, you start to feel like you know them and you're interested in what happens. And, uh, you know, you, I'm sure you get that a lot too. Heck when we met Joel, it was like, it was like, I know that voice, <laughs> you, you know, you were the first person who I met in person who recognized me from my voice from podcasting Is it, when we were at new media expo 2013 together. And I was just sitting at a table chatting and you stopped and kind of tapped me on the shoulder and like, Joel, and I looked at you, and I have no freaking idea who you were. Yep. Like, oh, yeah. Yep. Value, value of Simple and Smart and Simple Matters? So, yeah, that's me. Hey, I'm Dan Hayes. It's like, yeah. oh, you recognized my voice. That's I cool. Did. And then you stood up, you turned around to shake my hand, then I sprained a neck muscle looking all the way up at you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too bad. I should have tried to give you a hug. I, I wasn't right. in the default hug mode back then. That was five years ago. And I, now, of course, I would just come in and said, bring it in, brother. You would have had to strain anything. <laughs> oh, man. Well, can, can I ask you, so it seems like not doing Simple Life together, or at least the occasional episode, it's a bit of a sacrifice. At least you feel that way. Who knows about Vanessa? What are the other kinds of sacrifices that you've made to make this major life transition from San Antonio and going to <coughs> Aurora to build your modern bungalow? I know there's lots of joy, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but of course, everything's a trade-off. Are there other pretty big trade-offs that you feel like you've made in order to transition to the kind of pretty groovy life that you have right now? Yeah, I think um, we, uh, without a doubt, the top of the list is uh, we really miss my son, Matt, and his mom, who are still in San Antonio. Uh, Vanessa's parents live just outside of San Antonio, and we had an awful lot of, you know, just friends and um, and we do miss that. We, we, we certainly, miss, there's a, there's a little tinge of guilt. I think whenever you leave an area, uh, if you have some type of roots there, uh, of, of any length of time. And, um, you know, we I think it's natural for us to feel that. Uh, but everybody that we've missed has, has either come to visit already or is on the way to visit. So that's nice. You know, you, you leave maybe some of the daily contact or more frequent contact, but you don't lose the friendship and the love and, and, and all that that you have, camaraderie for my workmates and so forth. Um, and in these days with uh, social media, it's so much easier to keep in contact. It really is a much smaller world. So it, we almost feel like we have the uh, all the benefits of the new place, and uh, yet we still get to enjoy a little bit of uh, back Texas home as well. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe it was right around the time that you were packing up the podcast into a neat little box for a period of time. I remember uh -huh. talking to you a couple years ago, but probably before, yeah, definitely before you move. And you had used a word like you were multi-aspirational at that point in time. Like yeah. you could go a number of different ways. You could create a new podcast about this thing and that thing, uh, renovating an old warehouse with your change management skills. You were yeah. talking, maybe joining local politics, yeah. How did you know what direction or directions to go into before you even got to your current town? Like what was going on in your mind in terms of what was next for you because you could have gone in so many different directions, especially without any major financial pressure that was bearing yeah. on you? Yeah. Um, 
and to be candid right up front, I still don't know what if there's one direction I want to go in. What I have realized is like, um, you know, when I was a kid, uh, this was before the Internet and all that, you know, but on Sunday nights, it would seem like I would find something that I wanted to do for the evening as I sat in my basement or whatever. Um, I finally figured out what I wanted it to do when it was almost time to go to bed and start the next day, you know? And so it's like, now that I know what I want to do, there's not enough time left to do it. And I don't want that to happen in my life. So uh, I, what I have learned in this transition was there are uh, an awful lot of things that I enjoy that bring me happiness. And I had to kind of shed some of that pre-programmed, you have to have another career implications that I, I was feeling. Nobody ever told me, hey, you need, to, you need to get a job or you need to dedicate yourself to another thing now for the rest of your life. I was doing that to myself. And I, and I wasn't giving myself the opportunity to have more of a, a portfolio career as opposed to, you know, one, a one set career. I've already had a good long career, you know, and I, and I have income from that, that, that satisfies all of our needs. Now I have, I've never had these options to me before. And sometimes I think when you have so many options, you don't see them all. And I was struggling to figure out which one was the one. Mm-hmm. And, and I still haven't, cause I don't think there is one. Uh, so now I spend my time doing a lot of different things and I'm sure that there's, there's other areas that I hope to get into that I haven't even, uh, crossed the threshold of even starting yet because I'm just really now becoming aware of some of this. I know I want to have another podcast again someday, but that would be just one aspect of sharing my life with people who want to hear about it. It's pretty sweet that you set up the kind of life and support structure and family and everything else where you can have a multi-year transition from something to something yeah, and not have anybody just, this is all self-imposed. It sounds like for you in terms of what's next, what are all these various opportunities that I have? How does somebody structure their life in a way where, where you live and the family that you have and the friends that you have, like everybody's just really cool with you going slow and at your own pace and just being supportive of whatever it is that you decide to do, including not much for right. a period of time. Yeah. It's not much conventionally. I still know that you're, you're active in your community and you're bringing people together in neat ways, which we'll get into in a little bit, but sure. kind of going back to the original question, how did you, did you fall into this? Did you realize that as you're getting into it, you're like, I've got some, I've got some years here. I can just kind of, <laughs> kind of do whatever I want. Or has that been something that's been a little bit, Go ahead. Well, you know, early on in Simple Life Together, when we were doing the show, we shared our, our five pillars of how we aligned our life. And now that now that the in vogue term really is lifestyle design. You know, I didn't know when I was when I was, you know, 18, 20 years old, 30 years old, or even 40 years old, when I had a steady career that that once I retired from that, it was going to be able to set me up to have this freedom. But it really did. You know, if I think there would be a lot less tolerance for for my um, um, dabbling in different things that interest me, if if I wasn't if I didn't have an income that was already set up that took care of my family as much as they needed to be taken care of, um, uh, although I, I mean I have a, a crazy supportive family, my wife Vanessa's amazing, and um, and you know she's busy with uh, lining up her life 2.0 right now. And it was a design of our lives as we went along with those five pillars of faith, family, finances, fitness, and freedom that we talked about uh, back in the day on Simple Life Together. And using each one of those as, um, as a guidepost for all the decisions that we make. Uh, there's no doubt in my life, in my mind, that what we do in life is all choices. We choose what we put in our mouths to to influence our health and our level of fitness, or we choose the act- activities that we do. That uh, and and one of those is proximity. And when we chose moving from San Antonio, Texas, to uh, this little village of East Aurora, where we we knew that where we lived influences so much of not only our lives but 
our, you know, our daughter's life and, um, and even our extended family, because now that people come to a different place to visit, um, our daughter goes to a different school. Um, we eat different foods and hang out with different people, but, but those are all decisions that we made by putting ourselves in the situation. And I think it takes a, um, a bit of evaluation and self-reflection as you look towards your the freedoms or the whatever your pillars are or somebody chooses their pillars on how they want to design their life um if they don't have that um that goal in mind um you can pretty much live anywhere or do anything you want because you 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 there's no ends that you're trying to meet but we had a we had a pretty clear vision of how we wanted to live our extended life and and that had a lot to do with living and aging in a in a small village where we can walk around if we choose not to have two cars we don't have to um we spend a year and a half with only one car and i could and and my wife used that every day i could uh walk around most places so those decisions that we that we made years ago as we were executing that plan and we talked about the those things on the podcast we're, we're living the the benefit and the fruits of those now uh, it was so neat. I'll never forget that first, we had a podcast where we talked about it was 10 or 11 or 12 things that we were looking for in the future place that we wanted to live. And then we got input from our listeners on different places to check out. And we checked out some of those. And um, and some of them were great places, you know, uh, uh, Nashville and uh, – um, Asheville, North Carolina, and little places, you know, small town feel. Not that Nashville's small, but uh, you know, places around that were, were were very nice. But we kept on saying we want some place. This is great, but we want some place just like East Aurora. And eventually, Vanessa said, "Why not East Aurora?" We, <laughs> so, so that's where we ended up moving. But you know, the, really, the point is the plan of how you want your life to to be, and and then planning for that, and then taking decisive action to meet that goal is really what it was all about for us. And we did that kind of publicly. Yeah, you did. I want to ask you, because I've never considered it before, your five pillars, all starting with F, but the first one's faith. Is that intentional? Did you order them in the sequence of importance for you? Or they're just, they're not in alphabetical order. So I'm wondering where faith came into all this and how you've been able to continue that being a pillar in your new community. Yeah. Interestingly enough, um, it's, um, I think it fell there naturally because, uh, you know, both my wife and I are, are, are strong believers, although we don't belong to any, uh, you know, organized religion at this point in time, you know, we don't rule ourselves out from that, but, uh, we definitely have, uh, we like to organize our life based on faith and, uh, some people, uh, depending on what people put their faith in, some people put it in themselves, and that's fine. I mean, to each their own. But um, it was for us. It was pillar number one. The other things seem to fall in line pretty easily behind it. Um, what are you a strong believer in right now? Well, I really, I've never really talked about this publicly in like a podcast form or anything like that. But you know, I was raised Catholic. I uh, believe a, a lot of the the tenets of the Catholic faith. But I truly believe what I, one thing that I um, that I kind of overlooked for a long period of time was how I believe that uh, that God dwells within us, and and if you if you don't respect that, you end up selling yourself short quite a bit. I think, you know, if you don't uh, if you look at that from say a uh, uh, health and fitness perspective, if you don't think that uh, that you know you have this one body to make it through this life. And that it, that it's a, a, a real temple for for a, not just a it's not just a body to get you around it's not just a meat case it houses your spirit while you're here and so uh, what better opportunity to have to to show that faith than to try to do the best by the by the body that you were given I don't talk a lot publicly about my faith because you know many people don't share it and I'm not certainly not trying to to influence anybody's thoughts that that way. I think it's something that we all have to find on our own. And um, I certainly think it's in, important for uh, two spouses to have pretty aligned 
faith if they're um, if if they each have their own and it's and it's competing. I think that could be a problem. But thankfully, Vanessa and I see pretty much eye to eye on that. What are you doing from a health and fitness perspective then to uh, to honor the temple, the bodily yeah. temple that you have? We were talking before we cranked it up about your walks, which have not been as frequent because you've had some heel issues with getting around a little bit. But I know the morning walks are a pillar part of your health and fitness part. What Jeez, on a day to day or weekly, monthly basis? What are the rituals that you have going on right now that allow you to be as vibrant as I know you are? <laughs> well, I, I wish I was a lot more, to be honest with you, I'm a lot more vibrant. But uh, I, um, uh, I do love to walk every day when I can. And, uh, and sadly, sometimes the, when you can't, you, boy, you really feel it in, in every different way. But, you know, my walks are as much, I've always said this, my walks are as much for my head as they are for my level of fitness. And I think one follows the other, at least to this in, in my, in my uh, experience. If my head's not in the right place, my fitness is, is, is sure to follow. Um, you know, you start and it's really tough here, man. The food is so good here. It's tough for me to push away from some of that. I have the, you know, buff, one of the things Buffalo is known for is great wings. And, uh, the, the best place in the, in the area is a couple hundred meters from me down the road, voted the best, best wings, uh, in the area. So that's tough. That's tough. Although that's not a bad, it's chicken. Come on. It's gotta be good for you. Maybe if they started making buffalo wings <coughs> out of buffalo, it would be better. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that would But be... I don't think that's happening anytime yeah. soon. Yeah, let's try so it. The f- so the food generally gets in your way? Or Vanessa eats a bit differently than you do and perhaps yeah. has a different uh, day-to-day fitness level than you do. How, yeah. how are you in alignment or out of alignment with each other when it comes to what you're eating and how active you are? Well, I, my tastes are... I, I'd like to say refined, but other people Everything call about that you is picky. Refined, Come on. <laughs> Everybody else would call it picky. But <laughs> you know, the, the good thing is I do most of the cooking in the family. Uh, I love to cook. Uh, I, the one thing about the wintertime here is I don't get to grill and smoke meats as often as I, as I used to. Um, but So I do try to find places that are local that have, uh, uh, don't have additives like in their sausage. And they have, you know, good, there's so many... Uh, there's a food co-op right down the, the road from us. It's all local farmers. Uh, there's a lot of good to be had in the area. So uh, I, get to, I get to control most of the diet for the family. Uh, Vanessa's a lot more fit than I am. She's, she's really just about going to the gym, running, uh, weightlifting, things like that. I, I fall far short in that area uh, and on that pillar of our lives. But, you know, it's, I always seem to be the classic example of the yo-yoing with my with my food plans but i feel most comfortable in paleo i tried uh keto and i but i think paleo and some intermittent fasting with that is what is how i feel my best and when i deviate from that i tend to pay the price uh with inflammation in different spots and you know i think my you mentioned my i've had some heel pain lately that's affected my walks and i think you know, some of that is, you know, a garbage in, garbage out thing. If I'm eating garbage, it's, it manifests itself somehow. Well, when you do stroll around, uh, what do you see? Uh, uh, part of it is I don't want to let you go without you talking about the Roy Croft movement oh, yeah. that originated over 100 years ago in East Aurora, where you are right now, and how the spirit is still alive and well yeah. over there. That was certainly one of the appeals to yeah. moving back to it's like you said this is not your first time being in the buffalo area you've lived sure. there before but yeah. heading to east aurora and having that roy croft movement maybe we should start with who is roy croft or what is roy croft sure. movement that maybe some people have heard roy croft simplicity there's like there's some kind of link here sure yeah okay so um i live in the village that i live in is 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 old it was it was really founded um uh, and people started living here in 1804. And uh, there's a lot of history for, you know, it's one of the things in the United States is we don't tend to have a lot of uh, history, you know. and uh, yeah, Relative to the rest of the world, that's right. for sure. Well, the, you know, there, our main street that goes, uh, that we have a, a brick, uh, the, 
a good portion of our street is still brick in the main street here. And, um, and it's the, it's the same road that when they, they surveyed, uh, the Holland land company, uh, when they, they had a treaty with the, the natives to expand into Buffalo, they came, they built right through this, this street is our main street. So our village is old and has a lot of history right around the corner from, from us, um, uh, is, uh, president Millard Fillmore's house who, uh, you know, worked as an attorney here in this little village. And then, um, so just a lot of, you know, typical strong American settlers of all different backgrounds that uh, end up finding themselves on the outskirts of Buffalo, New York, which was probably the one of the, it was the richest city, uh, one of the richest cities per capita in the early 1800s because it was the terminus of the Erie Canal and a lot of shipping of, uh, you know, you name it, um, uh, between produce and and the fur trade and so forth, things coming from your neck of the woods out there through the Great Lakes, the Midwest, <laughs> United States, yeah, uh-huh. through through Buffalo, New York, up the Erie Canal, and to the St. Lawrence Seaway, and then down into New York City and into the world and and uh, uh, you know the, the coast of the U.S. and beyond. And so a lot of money funneled through here, and uh, a lot of as this was going on, a lot of the wealthier people uh, in industry would have a little place out here in this village of East Aurora. We're about 16 miles, and there was a, uh, later on, there was a railroad between Buffalo and East Aurora and, and so forth, and so people could take the train here and back. And, uh, and this was uh, originally famous as a, a horse town uh, for trotting horses, which, you know, the wealthy throughout history have always enjoyed their horses, and then you know, even, and it's a lot of farming, so there's, there's horses around. And so uh, the the village just kind of developed, and and to this day it's only sixty five hundred people, but uh, one of those in the late eighteen hundreds was a gentleman named Albert Hubbard. He was an unlikely guy from uh, the Midwest. His father was a was a, a doctor and and country uh, a preacher, and uh, he wanted really nothing to do with that, and uh, he. Uh, he linked up with a cousin who owned a soap company, and uh, starting around the age of, you know, early teens, he was helping to sell soap door to door. And after a family divorce, the the soap company split, and uh, he was actually related to both both partners in some way, um, had connections, and so one of them said, "Hey, I'm going to go to Buffalo and start the Larkin Soap Company." Well, it, that's this turned into a uh, huge mail order business, the Larkin Soap. And Albert Hubbard uh, rose as its number two guy uh, as their head of marketing. So he developed marketing strategies that are still in use today. Things like uh, factory to family, buy one, get one free. He was a marketing copywriting genius. And uh, right around the age of uh, uh, 36, he, he got tired of it. He made his fortune and, uh, you know, by that time he had moved his family permanently to East Aurora. He loved his horses and loved nature and loved simplicity. He was, a um, an acolyte of, uh, folks like Emerson and Thoreau. Uh, so you can see the direct connection where I would have an interest as a, somebody who enjoys simplicity. Emerson's probably one of my favorite authors. And, um, uh, Albert Hubbard started this, um, well, he fancied himself as a writer, uh, other publishers didn't fancy him as much of a writer as he thought he he was, and so he had the money and the means, and he started his own press after after a, a trip to England, and he discovered the arts and crafts movement there uh, of William Morris, and and um, he visited uh, the Kelmscott Press, which is artisan handcrafted books, just beautiful books um, from William Morris, and he wanted to do something akin to that in the United States, and so. Having the means, he um, he started the Roycroft movement here in the village of East Aurora, and you know he where all this handmade uh, artisanship of Europe was was really a um, a fight against industrialization at the time. So we're in the throes of the industrial revolution, and these uh, people were getting a little bit tired of having this. Just like us now, we have all these inexpensive, cheap, cheaply manufactured but inexpensive goods that inundate our lives. 
things that you and I and other folks in the simplicity movement have tried to do our best to, to shun those to the extent that we can. He was very much like a, he's a kindred spirit of ours, you know, as, as far as, uh, uh, although a hundred years removed facing the same, uh, uh, demons with, uh, mass industrialization and commercialization that we feel today. And so in this Roycroft movement, it started with printing, but, it slowly uh, turned into what uh, they would scratch their own itch on the campus. If they needed furniture, they'd bring in an artisan. He'd train the local um, farm boys and girls to, to make furniture or to illuminate books, you know, hand illuminate the books with paints and so forth. Um, the campus ended up growing to about 550 people. He uh, paid men and women the same. He hired all sorts of people of, uh, you know, some shady backgrounds, but some well-known artisans. Like um, uh, one of his illustrators for his books was W.W. Uh, uh, w. Denslow, who was the illustrator for The Wizard of Oz after he left here. Um, a dart hunter who – people who enjoy fonts and stained glass and so forth are uh, – dart hunter is probably the, the, the America's top at that. And from your neck of the woods, uh, artists like uh, Alex Jean Fournier uh, uh, worked here at the Roycroft. And so he built this beautiful campus. It looks like – Is the campus – you keep saying Roycroft. <laughs> and obviously Hubbard and Roycroft – people might have thought that Roycroft was a person, no. was a man. No. But Roycroft, R-O-Y-C-R – O-F-T. Yeah, R-O-Y-C-R-O-F-T. Okay, so this is a campus. He's cre- You said mentioned 550 people at one yeah. point. They're all on the Roycroft campus. campus. And what is, what is the Roycroft? Where does that name even come from? Oh, that's a good question. So um, he, looking, harking back to the artisans of um, the, the arts and crafts movement, really, they took their initial style and so forth from the artisans of... of uh, medieval times, the Renaissance, and so forth. Roycroft was the name of two uh, English printers. Um, geez, I, I might, one of them was Thomas, and I forget the other's name. But they were, they were uh, makers of books and printers. They also, everything about Albert Hubbard, as a marketer, everything had a little hidden meaning, or maybe this truth was stretched to, uh, into the lore a little bit. Uh, but he used the term Roycroft to mean royal craft or king's craft, fit for a king. So what he would do is when he produced these different goods, whether it's stained glass, hammered hammered brass, uh, books, he would do like they do with vehicles these days and have a couple of different trim lines. So there's an entry level book, then there's a next you know, next level up. And then there's like a thousand dollars for a book, which would, you know, people would pay that for a, a home back in the day. But he had so many people, and he was so charismatic. Uh, he was on the vaudeville circuit as a speaker. His big break came in 1899. He wrote um, um, that up until the 50s was was the most printed uh, document in the English language. It was called A Message to Garcia. about, um, And it was really a message for people to, um, for workers to work for their the people that they work for and not ask a bunch of questions, just do the, take their instruction and do the deed, get it done. You know, it was like a, the, it was like a, uh, an ode to the action guy, if, if you would, or a, um, uh, and it just went viral and, and it's, and it's in the, whatever the, um, vernacular of the day was, it went viral and millions and millions and millions of copies of this were requested. And he actually wrote this. It was a, it's like a blog post length. It's like 1200 words. And and being he had a a, um, a a magazine called the Philistine, a periodical of protest, and uh, they would make fun of organized religion, industry, and so forth. But at the same time, he's he's working with these folks, and so in this Philistine magazine, they had an empty page. Well, you know, you just didn't send something to the printers in the 1890s with an empty page especially when he produced different goods. He could do his own advertising and so forth. So he, he wrote this. He had a conversation with his son about this um, um, lieutenant who was, to, uh, was needed by President McKinley to go uh, deliver a message to Garcia. And General Garcia led the, uh, the resistance in Cuba in 1899, Spanish-American War era. And so this, this uh, lieutenant, Andrew Rowan, 
delivered this message to Garcia. And so it, it, it kind of took this little story and turned it into what he called a liter, literary trifle, a simple blog post. They didn't even title it. And then, you know, when it was released, they're getting all these requests for copies of it. And uh, one of them was from the head of the New York Central Railroad. He wanted, I think it was 10 million copies or something in, something insane. Uh, 10 million? Yeah, to, to pass out. I had, I'm probably have my numbers. One for, I think on, it was 50,000, okay. actually. But, but he Lots. But Lots. It turned into millions and millions and millions of requests, and they didn't have the means to print all this. So he, he really developed a, a, a method of licensing it out for other people to reprint for him. And so the campus at that point really took off. So... Um, that's really the history of the Roycroft. And it was kind of a, you know, uh, it started off really as a simplicity movement, but uh, simplicity with a, a commercial intent to sell the goods. But it was well-made furniture. We're, you know, talking around the era of um, uh, Gustav Stickley and his furniture and other people who, uh, you know, bungalow builders, the green and green bungalow builders of out west and, and so forth. It was all in that era. And it was all right here in this little village. And having a bully pulpit, all these famous people would come. He had so many people came to visit him that he had to build an inn, a hotel. And it's still there today. And uh, it's called the Roycroft Inn. But all of the reformers of their day, the uh, you know, politicians of the day, presidents would come to see Albert Hubbard here at the Roycroft and to see this what was going on in this in this community. So people like... Um, you know, Thomas Edison, uh, Harvey Firestone, Henry Ford, um, uh, Susan B. Anthony, the, 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 suffra the suffrage movement, women's suffrage movement. Uh, Albert Hubbard and his wife were both into the women's suffrage movement. And long story short, um, he decided to go over to Europe again. He would go over from time to time and then come back and write these what he called little journeys that were released in a monthly serial um, that would people would get an episode a month. And then at the end of the year, they could send them all back and they'd be bound by the Rickcraft Press. And so they were going over. It was the rumblings of World War I. Uh, you know, Europe was already involved in war, World War I. And he said he was going to go talk some sense into the Kaiser while he was on his trip to research his little journeys. And he was on the steamship Lusitania, which, of course, was torpedoed off the Irish coast. And so he, uh, him and his wife went down with the ship. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. And uh, the Roycroft movement stayed here till I think they went bankrupt in 38. But uh, it's all been pieced back together. And it's a national historic landmark through the work of a lot of people. So I took an interest in that from the I'm a history buff and uh I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> I hope the people who are listening know like one out of every five of the names that you've been dropping. Oh. That was before Thomas Edison and Susan B. Anthony where I'm like, okay, I remember them from the history books. Right. But with all these other people you're talking about, I'm like, I, I have no idea who they are. I have a feeling the show notes are going to be linking to a lot of Wikipedia entries. Yeah. Tell me though about Roycroft. Uh, the inn is still physically present a yes. hundred ish years later, but the spirit of the Roycroft movement, what is that? feel like as you walk around town and whether you're interacting with artisans that are still in the area or just the kinds of people who gravitate towards a place like East Aurora, how does that show up for you? Well, you know, it's, uh, it's still, it's right in the dead center of town and it's, uh, you know, right next to the campus. There are, there are homes where old Roycrofters used to live and it's really the, the village has kind of taken on the theme of the Roycroft with a lot of its architecture and so forth. And there are still, there's a, a new movement, uh, the Roycroft, Roycroft Renaissance movement of artisans and other arts and crafts guilds around here. So there are a lot of festivals. There are a, a lot of artists that live here in the village. Um, just down the street is also Fisher Price Toys and their headquarters, and and which they um, the original workers from there were a lot of old Roycrofters. So it's really had a pervasive uh, influence on the village. And interestingly enough, this things change so much in so many places and commercialize. This little village is a bit of a time capsule where um, I think the pharmacy that's here has been open, I think it's 168 years. The village newspaper from the 1850s, uh, East Aurora Advertiser, is still the village newspaper. Uh, it's, there's, wow, just an, and there's just an awful lot of history here. And it's not that they're resistant to change. These, the, the, the folks that live here are on the cutting edge of 
all sorts of things. So it's not just a sleepy hollow. It's a, it's a, um, a village that's bustling with uh, activity. There's something going on all the time. You know, when my daughter has a half day at school, most of, most of the, or they get out early for parent-teacher conferences and so forth, the theater on Main Street has open movies for the kids to come in for free and watch that are sponsored by local businesses. There's um, never heard of that done before. It's just, I mean, it's there's festivals all the time, and you know another cool thing is you can crack open a beer and walk all around the village and enjoy a beer. It's an open container authorization. You can go from there's the craft breweries throughout the village, and all of this isn't you know like I said, sixty five hundred people, and it's only a mile long, and it's like living in a fairy tale. And people who live here tell each other that all the time, and as the new folks in town. See, when I was a kid, I, I grew up about uh, 20 miles from here, but we had a really small summer cottage that my mom and dad were patching back together um, on the other side of East Aurora. So we used to drive right through, and there's these beautiful old Victorian homes, and then the, the stone, the field stone buildings of the Roycroft look like castles, and then there's a huge castle-looking home as you're driving into town. And as a kid, my imagination was just, I mean, I, I, I was like, fogging up the windows, looking out the windows, I'm like, man, what would it be like to live here? And um, when Vanessa and I were looking, we kept on comparing everything to it. And it's for us, it's just the place to be. I hope you And you're not it. somebody who uh, is prone to uh, exaggeration or just going on and on and on. When I hear you say this, I'm thinking there is something special. There is yeah. something different and sustained about the place that you're in and the kinds of people who gravitate towards that place. Yeah. Neato. You know, just um, uh, uh, around the holidays, um, which, you know, we're not too far removed from, they have a carolcade with thousands of people singing Christmas carols out in front of this. Uh, five- carolcade? Is that like a, a motorcade <laughs> like a- <laughs> of people in a series of cars driving slow down Main Street singing Christmas carols? No, it's not. It's not like a motorcade. What, what is it? It's like a cavalcade of stars. And, you know, like uh, it's it, what it is. It's just a group of uh, local the people from the village and local area. They get together on the Main Street. Um, typically, it's uh, it's in front of uh, a five and dime store called Vidler's that opened in in 1930. That is still here. It's a landmark, and they have. I mean, every candy you can imagine from you when you were a kid, stay away from the sugar, Joel. They have it all. Mm. All those old things that we grew up with, they're all there. And um, But it's a five and dime store that the people come from all over to shop at. They host it, and it's free hot chocolate. They pass out hot chocolate. And, and uh, you know, for for like Christmas shopping, they you go into places, they have uh, mulled wine or beer or whatever, they give it to you and you can walk around town from shop to shop with it and pick up one at the next shop. And it's just, it's just something else. It's like, a, it really is kind of a bit too Disney like, I guess. All right. Well, hopefully the Roycroft Inn has some openings because I have a feeling <laughs> after <laughs> 20, 25 minutes of talking about it, there's some people who are now doing some, uh, travel site searches for where is East Aurora, New York, and how do I get some time there? Yeah. And they should, it's a great place to, it's a great place to live, but it's an awesome place to visit too. Well, is there anything else that you want to talk about or that you'd like people to know at this point? You know, it's, uh, I mentioned the podcast earlier. I am thinking of, uh, I do have a few thoughts out there on some new new podcasts to explore. And I, I don't know when that's going to be, but um, folks haven't heard the last of Dan Hayes. I'm going to, I'm going to invade iTunes again and whatever your podcast catcher of choice is at some point in time when the time is right with a new podcast. But in the meantime, come visit us in East Aurora and sit down and I'm doing some woodwork in the wood shop. So uh, have fun with me with that. And we'll, we'll talk about Joel Zavzlowski and I'll tell you his background. <laughs> wow. I think I should set the odds. I'm not the gambling type, but I'm wondering whether it's going to be crafting, crofting, maybe <laughs> teardrop camping. The, the candidates for future yeah. podcast themes are. It, what? W- it won't be teardrop. Uh, we sold the teardrop. You sold the teardrop. He did. That's going to come as quite a surprise to some it, Simple Life Together listeners. It, we, you know, we lived in that for seven months and 40, 40 square feet while we built this home of ours. 
And uh, we really enjoyed it. We hated to see it go, but it was just kind of time. And there, that era will come again. But, you know, we have these seasons of our lives where we just have to maximize, you know, what, what our, our point of focus is during that season. And one of the things that um, was not our point of focus at this point really was the, was the teardrop. As much as we loved it and centered our lives around it, we thought we'd have it forever. But and now we 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 don't have the desire to get up and go as much as we used to because we love where we are. And I think that's yeah. important in life to love where you are. It is, especially when it's a little bit bigger than 40 square feet. Yeah. Tiny house livers eat your heart. <laughs> you drop camping in 40 square feet Jeez. for seven months. Yeah. I had to go outside <laughs> to change my mind. <laughs> awesome. Well, I know you are not uh, exactly active online right now. You're much more of a local in-person kind of guy. But if somebody wanted to visit, say, hey, where do you want them to go? You know, I, they can always find me on Twitter at, um, I'm at Daniel Hayes. And, uh, I just really started Instagram cause sometimes I take some pictures, but, uh, I'm, you know, I'm really just getting started there and I'm the Daniel Hayes on Instagram. So I need friends on there. Send them my way. Okay. The Daniel Hayes official. And actually we still monitor simple life together.com as well. So cool. All right. Sounds like there are uh, at least a couple of different avenues for now. And who knows what's to come? Sounds good, buddy. Man, it's so good to talk to you again, Joel. All right. I hope you enjoyed the five-year anniversary edition of me and Dan talking shop about all kinds of things. You can find links to all the stuff we spoke about, topic timestamps, takeaways, and more grooviness in the show notes at joelzeslowski.com slash sasm125. If you want to say hello to me or show a little support, British accent not required. Head on over to joelzislavsky.com slash support to check out the various simple, easy, and quick things you might do. I'm uh, considering going solo for my next episode and reviving a format I experimented with once and am eager to do again. We'll see how that all shakes out. Until then, you have just listened to the Smart and Simple Matters podcast with me, Joel Zeslovsky. Now go simplify something. Hug someone or get your sexy spreadsheet on.